This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, and welcome to Is It My ADHD?, the podcast about what it really feels like to have attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. I'm Grace Timothy and I'm a writer and I wasn't diagnosed with ADHD until I was 37. I'd struggled with traits I now know to be ADHD all my life, but it wasn't until a routine hearing appointment with a doctor who happened to have ADHD himself that these traits were pieced together and it was suggested that I get referred for an assessment. Had it not been for that random moment with an audiologist, I'd still be undiagnosed now and still struggling just like the two million women thought to have undiagnosed ADHD in the UK today. I want to better understand what ADHD feels like for women and non-binary people, in whom ADHD is so often missed, thanks to the fact that the diagnostic criteria and research is all heavily skewed to the white male case study. I've therefore spoken to some incredible women about how ADHD affects their lives, exploring everything from friendship and work to dating and self-esteem. I've also pulled in some experts along the way to help us tackle the big questions from you and from my guests. Is it my ADHD when I ghost old friends, for example? Is it my ADHD when I break the photocopier at work? And is it my ADHD when I share nudes on Instagram? My hope is that we can spread awareness of ADHD in women and non-binary people, and that you'll find some comfort in knowing you're far from being alone. Because with the right support, we can be truly amazing. Today, I'll be exploring the fairly new label of deficient emotional self-regulation. It's basically the idea that people with ADHD struggle to moderate emotional responses. And I'm sharing this chat with Azraya Harvey. Emotional dysregulation is notably absent from the criteria for diagnosing ADHD. And yet most experts agree it is one of the most common traits of ADHD. Emotional regulation is, after all, a part of executive function, something we famously struggle with. Plus, the parts of the brain affected by ADHD are also heavily involved in our emotions. And when you think about the impulsivity often involved, it's no wonder people with ADHD often experience mood swings, low frustration tolerance, impatience, being quick to anger, aggression, greater emotional excitability and difficulties around self-soothing and letting go. It's worth remembering too that mood disorders can be a common comorbidity of ADHD. And so it's important to differentiate. But for me, emotional dysregulation has definitely played a huge part in my life. As Raya Harvey is an anti-racism consultant, SEN teacher, presenter, writer, and an ambassador of Takeda's Staring Back at Me campaign, raising awareness of the symptoms of ADHD in women and non-binary people. She was diagnosed when she was 30. So welcome, As I'm so pleased to have you with us today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's so nice to see you. And I think like for this particular conversation, because so many of your roles are so, well, must be so emotionally charged. It was really interesting to me to talk to you about how you manage that, because I think like on a personal level, I have always struggled to regulate my emotions and my emotional responses to things. But to think that you have a job that 
you know, requires that of you every single day, whether you're working with children, whether you're working in your kind of campaigning capacity. How would you describe at the moment your kind of emotional profile as a human being? Like when we discussed briefly, we're always going to be talking about and I read kind of like just kind of like the general outline. I was thinking this is so perfect because the work that I've done over the past few years has been so much to do with my ability to self-regulate and that self-soothing aspect and just being able to kind of talk myself off a ledge. Um, and I feel the way I the way I was and the way I have has I've definitely grown. And at, the, at present, I feel like I've always been quite introspective that can then turn sometimes to ruminating, just going over the same thing again and again and again. And like, you know, like it said, not letting things go. I found it very hard to let certain things go. But equally, I can be very laid back and be like, hmm, it doesn't matter. So I feel like it's one of the two extremes. I don't feel like there's really a happy medium with me. I feel like I'm entirely unbothered. And people are like, oh, you know, isn't that, aren't you worried? Isn't that upset? I'm like, yeah, there's nothing you can do about it. Or I'm either like fixated and just overly overly preoccupied with the details and what's gone on um, and so it's I think I'm working now between that that happy medium and that balance and I would say it's probably things that are things that are very important to me I can get like that particularly in my relationships like if something goes wrong in a relationship whether it's with like a potential partner or a friend or I can really like it it can really upset me really really upset me whereas other things like for example at work if I have an issue with a colleague I'm kind of like or if someone comes to me because they have an issue with a colleague, I'm kind of like, just let it go. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, it's not a big deal. Whereas in my personal life, I'm the opposite. So it's definitely an ongoing process. It's definitely ongoing and like forever changing. So I think the thing is, as well as like everybody, you know, well, nearly everybody is kind of emotionally charged around certain areas of their life or, you know, everyone has an emotional response to what's going on, right? But it seems it's like the intensity to which we've experienced emotions and like it can be a physical, like visceral thing, can't it? Like a visceral pain if you've been like hard done by or you think you've been hard done by. It can be like an insane excitability like that. I think like if we also look at the positives, it's not all about just crying all day or like, you know, for me, it's a lot of watching a film and not being able to let go of that for days even. It's not even about real stuff, you know? But it's also like the highs. It's it is like literally a roller coaster. What what about the sort of highs for you have been? Do you think a positive of your ADHD? I think since becoming a teacher, um, and since I, I'm no longer in teaching at the moment, I'm, I do consultancy work full time now. But when I was a teacher and I worked in SEN, like I was obsessed with those children. Like I would refer to them as my kids. Like I loved my job so much. And I feel like for me, not only was it an accomplishment after having a hard time in university with my education and going back to uni to get my PGCE, but working with children. And it's crazy because before I got my diagnosis, I was working in that role and I felt like I just kind of got them. Like they they, they really frustrated me. I mean, kids, kids are always going to get on your nerves and pressure button sometimes, but considering like the intensity of the job and how complex their needs were, um, I definitely, I definitely could see a difference between just my response to some of their behaviours compared to some of my um, colleagues and co-workers. Not that one was right or wrong, but I just always found like certain things that annoyed other people, it didn't it didn't really bother me. And I felt like it's because somewhere, somehow I kind of got it. I was like, I, I kind of get it. Like, I know it's not hard to focus. I know it's not hard to self-regulate and self-soothe. And I feel like for me, that was a high. I would feel so satisfied and so fulfilled when I left my job. I was just so engrossed by the by the children. That's lush. And I think like I, I kind of like feel for people who don't experience that that sense of like 
the highs and, I, and obviously with that you have to kind of endure the lows don't you do you think that your perception of your emotions have, has changed since you got your ADHD diagnosis do you think of it all differently a hundred percent mainly because my perception of my past experiences changed I perceived my past and I perceived like kind of like the things that I went through and the hardship that I faced in one way because I didn't have the context of my ADHD but so much of what I felt really humiliated about and really ashamed of and really just felt like what an idiot you are like I can't believe you behave like that like why did you do that I look back on that and I'm like it makes I'm not I'm not I'm not angry at myself anymore I was really regretful for a long time and I was really I really looked at myself and I thought, oh, what a waste. You've wasted so much time doing this and not being here and not focusing. And you get the ADHD diagnosis and you look at yourself and you're like, it's not your fault. Like, it's actually OK. And so I feel like when I look back on my perception of myself, then I feel like now I'm just I'm so much gentler with myself. And that shame is completely gone over my past experiences. And I look back and I'm really grateful now because I think. I wouldn't be who I am today. And people always say, oh, do you wish you got a diagnosis earlier? And I'm like, I don't know, because I think my perception of the world now is quite profound because of the fact I have that experience of having ADHD and not knowing, having that distinction between not being aware and being aware, it makes being aware all, all so much better. 100%. And you, you, you kind of have to wonder as well, would you have placed limits on yourself if you'd known sooner? And would you have like got into certain situations that have actually taught you and that you've been able to grow from, right? a hundred percent and because you're trying to improve so much on your past experiences it's like almost like that extra drive because I'm like I actually can do it like I actually can do it it's almost like I've got something to prove to myself whereas I feel like maybe before if I had a diagnosis having that awareness I'd be like oh you know it's just how I am and da-da. but now it's like although that's how I am because I know that's how I am now I know all the best ways to mitigate it and it's not always perfect but I just have that extra drive because now I feel so much more able than I did before How does the sort of emotional dysregulation, so if you're, when your ADHD is in full force, I suppose, and you're at work and something that is just like inflammatory happens, whether that is with kids or whether it's like in your advocacy work and anti-racism work, which obviously is going to put you in a lot of situations where emotions are like charged and a bit, how do you now with your diagnosis kind of behind you, how do you deal with those sort of situations? So after I got my diagnosis, I think I stayed at my school for another year and a lot of things were changing and I really wasn't happy. And you could tell, like you could tell I wasn't happy anymore. I kind of like, I feel like whatever I'm feeling, it's just written all over me. And then I remember the deputy, she came to me, I'd got a promotion and she said to me, how are you finding the role? Are you enjoying it? And I just had to say to her, no, I'm not enjoying it. And I decided that I had to leave and I had to, it was time to me, it was time for me to move on. And I feel like that's something that is I've always been that way. Um, And I think that's one of the things that I've done to actually help myself regulate without even realising why I was doing it. Now I know why. But once something was not fun, once something was frustrating for me, once I was around people that didn't make me feel good, I would just leave. I didn't have the capacity to push through. I was like, this is going to get to a point. I'm going to get to a breaking point and things are going to kind of spill over and I'm going to have reactions that I don't want. I'm going to kind of like you know, have perception, they're going to be perceiving people in a weird way. I may ruin relationships and I thought I need to get out while I can still maintain those bridges and just have, just leave a sense of dignity. And so I think that's one thing for me that helped me regulate was just removing myself because had I stayed, it's boiling point, just like a pressure cooker and everything builds up and it got like that into my current job. And I was like, 
professionally it's time for me to move on I feel like I've done as much as I can here and so yeah I think a huge part of me is just removing myself from situations and now I know why I do it whereas I didn't know before but now I know it's a bit because I 100% do the same thing and actually I've never thought of that as a form of regulation but it, it absolutely is isn't it it's just like ending that chapter um but before like I definitely have a lot of shame attached to like passing up opportunities I guess knowing that it wasn't going to be right for me emotionally or leaving jobs before other people would have done at that stage in their career and then always wondering like what would have happened if I'd stayed sort of thing but actually oh my god yeah this is such a good reframe to think like that was in the name of it not going to a bad place and for you not to go to a bad place yeah that's really powerful isn't it yeah like honestly like I would just the, the minute I was not enjoying the job and the minute I could feel it was draining me this and this is very particular for my career like professionally um and I think it's a huge part of the ADHD because once something isn't stimulating anymore, it's twice as hard for us to keep going. Other people can kind of just push through. You know, I have to, it's mundane, but you know, I need a paycheck. And for us, we need that level of stimulation, that extra level of stimulation to stay focused anyway. So when we're doing a job that we don't like and we've got all these responsibilities, I'm like, I'm not going to fulfill them. I'm not stimulated. Don't like it here. So it definitely was, it definitely was a coping mechanism that um, I'm quite grateful I have because a lot of people can get bogged down and end up in places for decades and they and and just because they don't have fear almost some people have a fear of leaving I always had a fear of staying like I'm gonna embarrass myself if I stay here in this environment so yeah then we just save face and go and more so than that thing of like I've got to stay for my CV I remember friends saying that like oh I really hate this job but I've got to stay I'd be like I don't understand like just don't send your CV out in the same way that it is now or I don't know I just don't understand the amount of edits I've made to fill these gaps and get all the relevant experience. But yeah, so I'm great. I'm grateful that I'm grateful. That's something I, that I've always done, even without that awareness. So I think one of the things, because obviously masking is a huge part of ADHD, right? So we learn at a young age, I think, to mask certain emotions and emotional responses when we know that it's not what our peers are doing. But like, I'm really interested in the gender norms. So, you know, growing up, you become aware, I think, as a woman, or as someone assigned female at birth, that you are, it's important that you stay quiet, that you stay small, that you are compliant and all those things. And actually that big passions aren't very attractive or aren't acceptable. So whether that's like a, a, a passion, a passionate response in, in a negative form, like an anger or anything like that, or an overexcitement, all of those things are very much like trained out of you as kids, right? What about the kind of the intersections that you experience as a black woman in those spaces? So my mum jokes all the time. She says, oh, you know, when you were young, like you had no filter, you would just, you would just say what's on your mind. Like, and she was like, there's so many of these occasions where you weren't being offensive. You were being so brutally honest that it was kind of like, and so I feel like over the years, I've definitely learned to curb my enthusiasm for saying what's on my mind a hundred percent because I can, I physically, I can feel how desperately I want to say things and how much I want to get things out. And I feel like, so there's certain aspects of my life and I feel like with my job currently, I'm kind of almost getting that confidence back because if I'm going to do this job well, I have to kind of say, do you know what? This is uncomfortable. These conversations are going to be difficult and I'm absolutely going to have people that challenge me and I need to have the confidence to believe that, no, do you know what? I actually do have the understanding and the expertise to correct you in this moment. And if I don't, I'm really not doing my job. And especially because you're fighting for marginalised groups, you kind of have to get over that fear of you know, coming across as boisterous or coming across as too abrasive because if you kind of let that 
if you kind of let that kind of cloud your judgment as when you should or shouldn't speak what you should or shouldn't say you're actually going to miss a lot of opportunities to like make a difference to educate people to like improve people's understanding and just just create a, a better environment for the people you're advocating for so this job over the past year has definitely kind of thrust me more back into that space particularly because it's anti-racism so I'm aware of the fact that you know I am a black woman and so you've got those you've got that intersection which compounds this idea of you know talking a certain way and being a certain way but I essentially have to say do you know what I don't actually care because ultimately this isn't about me maintaining my self-image or my reputation I'm doing this for a reason and for a cause and I always have to keep that at the forefront of my mind when I'm doing this work and it's helped me a lot um so that's where I'm currently at with that but I definitely feel like my mum as well, just her character, she's very much like, you know, polite and, you know, doesn't like to offend people and stuff like that. So I feel like the ADHD and that kind of attitude coupled with my mum's personality anyway, definitely put me in a place where I was like, I should say something or, you know, this isn't fair or this isn't right. And you just kind of evade those kind of conflict and interactions, but I'm pushing through. It's it's like confrontation, isn't it? But again, it's another thing that we've been conditioned to think isn't the right thing. And it absolutely is the right thing because without, like you say, you're not making any impact without those things. And the work that you're doing is so important and has to, I'm guessing, like massively rely on passion and personal empathy. Yeah, completely. Um, I think what's really interesting though is that you have chosen a lot of spaces in which emotions are going to be at the forefront of your of your colleagues and your, you know, um, the children that you teach, the people that you work with, there's there's just a lot of emotion there. So you must have a real capacity actually for regulating your own emotions and being able to regulate the room around you a bit. I think I think I do. And it's a part of the reason why why I do the job that I do now, because it's something that people have said to me, like, you're great at this, because I used to be a equality and diversity coordinator at my school before I'd done this job. And so I used to do CPD and do training and things like that. And, you know, the head would always say to me, when you talk, people just listen, like you're just you just have something about you, you just communicate, you know how to deal with difficult comments, you know how to deal with things that might be a bit controversial without making people feel like crap. And and I was like, and I think it's because it's almost like the way I like to be handled. Like I know how sensitive I can be and I know how I can take things really personally and really feel crap about myself when I make mistakes. And so I think that's part of the reason, like I kind of know what I would like to hear and I kind of know how I'd like to be dealt with and I try and extend that to other people. Um, but equally, I think because of the ADHD and that idea of not being able to let things go and being so like your emotion being so heightened around certain things, I overthink. I can really overthink. But there's also a plus side to that overthinking because I really consider things from different perspectives. I'm really trying to understand where everybody is coming from. I'm really trying to assess, you know, did I say it in this way? Could I have said it better? You know, was do, am I actually the problem? And that also leads to the people pleasing aspect of it, wanting to be liked and not wanting to make mistakes because you're so prone to make mistakes and forget things and do things wrong. You're very aware that, oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm pissing people off, like I'm annoying people. And, uh, and so I think all of that comes together to have to create some really great strengths in my personality. Over the past couple of years since my diagnosis, it's kind of been looking at, OK, what are the good things that have come from me having this disorder? And what are the things that, you know, are a double-edged sword and what things do I really want to keep and what things do I need to work on for my own for my own for my own benefit I feel like most of the things that are an issue are to my own detriment other people get the best of me I make myself suffer I've made myself suffer over the years so working in in terms of my emotional regulation I would definitely say it's kind of that internal those internal thoughts and feelings and processes 
as opposed to what I kind of impose on other people. Yeah, I think that's something as well that looks to be an important part of the clinical picture for girls and women, isn't it? That we internalise all of that stuff. So whether it's like masking or the emotions that we're struggling with or or just issues like the fuck ups that we kind of internalise and don't tell anyone about and make up for. Because that's the other thing, isn't it? You have an amazing capacity for making up for it, like you say, so that no one else notices or feels that impact. And, and as women, you're just socialised to put other people first, aren't you? Just generally, like, you know, your husbands, your kids, you know, like your inter- your maternal instinct, all of that stuff. You're kind of conditioned to think, I am valuable if I am taking care of other people well. And so it, you don't realise how much that is a detriment to you sometimes. And that coupled again with having ADHD, undiagnosed, all of these things come together and you think, what is a very unique experience for sure. What's the kind of payoff for you after all the, I suppose, the outcome? If you've been like really, really struggling to regulate all day and you've had one of those days where you've been like perpetually challenged. What happens when you get home? What's your coping mechanism? There was a point, This when I worked in my first school, I remember when I first became a teacher, my NQT, it was really, really, really difficult. And I remember I used to drink every day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I used to come home. Yeah. And I said, not like, not like drink myself silly, but every day I used to come home like, oh, I can't wait to have a glass of wine. Like I'd come in and I'd have a glass of wine every day. And at that point, I hadn't had a diagnosis yet. So I was a new teacher. I was juggling so much. It was really difficult. I remember when I got to my new school, I thought, okay, I really like this job. I cannot be drinking every day. I need to go to the gym. I need to think of some healthy coping mechanisms. Um, But I think one thing that I definitely do now that I didn't do before is I know when to stop. Before I used to try and keep going and keep going and keep going. And the more you go, the less you do, the more frustrated you become, the more useless you feel. Now... I take my meds once a day. Once I feel like the meds have wore off, I stop. I don't take any more. I stop because even though I take more, my brain is like, nope, depleted. We've got nothing left. So I know when to stop now. I know I wake up and by a certain hour, I'm like, today is not going to be a productive day. So instead of me trying to sit on my sit at my desk for four hours and fiddle and do nothing and check an email, and I just don't. I just relax. I read a book. I do whatever. I kind of recoup and I've realised I need to do that more, probably more frequently than the average person. I need that space to recoup more frequently. You've learned like very quickly, haven't you? Because it's not that. How long has it been since your diagnosis? So I got diagnosed last year in January. Yeah. Wow. You're, You're getting it. You get how to like cope with it and how to deal with it. It's amazing. The second series of Is It My ADHD is made possible by our sponsor, To Better Days. Chronic pain and migraines are a well-documented comorbidity of ADHD. It's something we often see within our community. It is also an issue that, like ADHD, can be wildly difficult to pin down and find support for. 70% of those who experience chronic pain are women, and on average it takes more than seven years to obtain a diagnosis. Two Better Days is keen to support and empower the chronic pain community, not just with their drug-free pain relief patches for migraines and chronic pain, but by giving those affected a voice and really listening to understand the daily challenges of self-advocacy and effective pain management. Everyone's pain is different and complex, and to better days, don't overpromise. But their hope is that a patch you can pop in your pocket in case of a flare can ease your day. They have also given listeners of this podcast 10% off all products if you use the code GRACE10. Thank you so much to Better Days. Looking back at your life, has there been a time where the emotional regulation has been more of a struggle? So whether that's like a a hormonal change or just age? 
so from when A levels all the way through till I finished university was an awful time. I would I, when I look back, I'm like, was I depressed? Maybe I don't I don't know, but I was. It was definitely hard. I cried every day, but I think because of that, now I'm in a position. It, it put me in a position, for example, to do to be SEN teacher. I feel like that experience with my education, with my feelings, with my emotions, etc. I think it put me in a place where I'm like, I get it. I get I get that school is rubbish. Like I get how hard it is to sit down and focus. I like I totally get it, um, and I feel like it definitely served me well in terms of what I'm trying to pursue now you know you have free periods you have to study yourself like university you go to lectures there's no class that tells you what's exactly what's going to be on the syllabus tells you exactly how to answer it that structure was missing and without that structure I just I did I, I fell apart um and then it got to a place where I thought to myself I can't I can't keep I can't keep falling apart anymore I'm not a child I'm an adult now um I need to figure it out and that's when I kind of went back to uni started teaching but even then I was like I'm good. I, f I feel good. I've definitely accomplished something. But this is not my full potential. I can do better than this. This is not this is not all I can do. And I was like, why can't I? I physically feel incapable, not even incapable, but I feel like there's a ceiling. I know I can do more, but I feel like there's something in my way and I'm not sure what it is. Um, and that's when I started looking into ADHD because I knew it was something to do with my focus. I knew it was my attention. I knew that was what was the issue, but I didn't know what that meant. Where did that come from? So I started looking into like attention deficit and such, just reading up on experiences. And as the more I've learned and the more I've known about ADHD, the better that self-regulation and that the emotional regulation, the better that has got. And the less, even when I do have a slip, those periods last a lot shorter. They're a lot shorter now. Um, and I think that's partly because of the awareness, but also because of the things that are going on in my life. So yeah, I would definitely say age and maturity has helped with that as well as my diagnosis. So earlier on, actually, you mentioned this kind of dichotomy of like, you can be completely unbothered by something that other people would be like, <gasps> and then on the other hand, be like massively inflamed by something that should be like minor, which I mean, like the whole of ADHD seems to be these two extremes, doesn't it? Of every kind of, every kind of situation seems to have these two extremes. I like have definitely only a handful of times really exploded with anger. Like I find anger's not one of the main problems but when when it is oh my days like step back and I think like before my diagnosis it was all I felt like those things happened to me because of what other people did and now I'm older and also have that diagnosis I can look back and think like that was mostly you either overthinking something misreading something not thinking about everyone else's situation and like now with an ADHD diagnosis, you learn to be more tolerant of other people's reactions as well, right? Have you found that those kind of maybe explosive or just really emotionally sad kind of reactions, have you found that just even knowing that you have ADHD has impacted how often they happen or how intensely? Yes, 100%. So, you know, you're talking about hormones, actually. So before, when I would, about a week before I came on my period, I would be like, I don't, miserable is not the right word. It wasn't despair. Like I would, I would just, I would hate myself. I wouldn't like myself. I would be like, everything's wrong. I, I would just absolute despair. And then I'll come on period and I'll be fine. And every month it would happen. And every month I would forget it was because of my period because it felt, it feels so real. And you feel so righteous in those feelings until the day your period comes and you feel better and you think, oh, that's what it was. And I remember there was a point, this was with an ex of mine very often before my period I would get into arguments with him it was definitely a very real um, a real real anxiety and real despair and kind of like feeling very down on myself I didn't like myself very much during those periods 
And I was saying to my partner a few months ago, actually, I was like, maybe I thought it was because maybe now because I'm in a stable relationship as well, that helps a lot. So that that level of anxiety around that aspect and like work and just things are in a good place. But I also do think it's because I have the ADHD diagnosis, because now when I feel like that, just generally in life, as well as my period, I'm just like, you need to step back. You need to take a step back. And, you know, you can I can kind of recognize that this is something that is exacerbated by the fact that I have ADHD. So I feel like with with the diagnosis in this past year and a half, that particularly before my period has changed a lot. Like emotionally, I'm in such a better place um, for being aware of having ADHD that I think it's really impacted that that side of things as well. It's the spiral, isn't it? If you can take yourself out of the spiral, that seems to be where ADHD goes. So rather than feeling like, oh, I feel a bit sad, it's like, oh, and by the way, this happened and this happened and this happened. And oh, now I'm just like done for. But there is also that like, I mean, it must be like serious whiplash for anyone who lives with someone with ADHD because we do go from that extreme like, oh my gosh, nothing is ever going to be like right ever again to like, oh my God, I'm having such a great day. Like everything's great. La la la. <laughs> Literally. And it's so funny because... I was having this conversation with my partner the other day and I sent him a tirade of messages and I called him and he was like, I was like, did you read my messages? He was like, no, not really. He was like, we can just talk about it. He was like, he was like, no, he was like, let's just, he was like, let's just talk about it. He was like, it was a bit of an essay. I was like, it was not an essay. Every point was valid and you haven't even read it. But then the day after I read the messages, I was like, why did I do that? Like, because I'm sitting there having these thoughts. He's just getting on with his day. We haven't even touched this subject in the past week. I've seen something on Twitter. I've gone off on one and I'm like, you need to do this. We need to do this. They're saving for the house and blah, 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 blah. And he's almost like, it's not that I don't get what you're saying. I just, where did this intensity come from? I thought like where we was fine. We haven't spoken about this today. How is this now at the forefront of your mind and really stressing you out today? And I have to be like, I saw a thread. Okay. I saw a thread and now I'm thinking about it. And that's how I got here. But that's why your activism blows my mind because, you know, when you emotionally react to something whether it's, you know, racism, something that's happened to you specifically, it's really hard. I find it really hard to then channel that into a a positive place and a constructive and sensible, well thought out place. Like the work that you do is taking something that is so viscerally affecting. How, Azraya? You know what I think in the work that I do I feel like when you do certain work how it manifests online and how it manifests in the real world is very very different so if I and just and just by the nature of the internet you know the internet automatically reduces our ability to empathize and show compassion because you don't have that person's facial expressions you can't hear their tone of voice like you don't see them as a in the human being they're just an entity online for you to like judge and have an opinion on that's what that's how social media makes you think and so what I've learned is if I'm going to do this work I need to not bring it to social media I can't talk about it on social media so a podcast is great a post is great but I can't engage in debates online I can't I can't acknowledge certain dms I feel like that's a huge part for me keeping it in the real world keeping it like when I'm talking directly to people, when I can engage with people in real life, I can see their faces, I can build a rapport, um, I can do it, you know, in the context of my professional job. And if I do do anything online, I'm just putting it out there. I'm not having a conversation about it. I'm putting it out there. I'm letting it do. I'm muting the tweet after I tweet it and I'm leaving it as that because I feel like, and I don't know if this is everyone, but I feel like with my, for me, I feel like it's because of my ADHD. I internalise a lot. And like just stepping back from social media and deciding that that is not going to personally be a platform for me 
um, that I'm going to use in that capacity. I use it personally. If I have something coming up, if I want to share something, I will. But I do it in my own time. I don't have this strict schedule of I've got to post three times a week, Monday, Wednesday and Friday. I've got to reply to all my comments. I've got, I said, I'm not doing it. I can't because emotionally it's just not healthy for me. Um, and I think keeping things in the real world and finding avenues, like official avenues, like the anti-racism work and like maybe like my my blog for example if i want to write something those are those are official structured ways that i can share but also protect myself it's no i totally am with you there i think like you found a, a safe way to channel haven't you so that it does protect your your health but it's amazing though that that is because i think a lot of people are on the flip side will benefit more from those kind of that slight distance that you get from a from a conversation online so, but you're ready to be face to face. But I think also we, you know, I think there are some miscues sometimes with people with ADHD. I don't know if you experience this, but sometimes I'll miss that someone's trying to communicate something to me with their face or their tone or whatever. That obviously online, you absolutely don't have a hope in hell of establishing. Whereas when you're face to face, you can kind of slightly more get to that point, can't you? Yeah, 100%. And like, sometimes I'll tweet something in jest and someone will have a problem with it. And I'm like... I kind of understand where you're coming from, but at the same time, I can't, I can't, I can't revolve my tweeting or whatever I share around. I can't anticipate how everyone is going to feel. So equally, I understand where you're coming from, but I don't accept that as a reason to not tweet it. And so you get into this weird space where you're like, I guess if I don't want to offend anyone, I just need to not, <laughs> I just need to not tweet about certain things because there's certain things you'll tweet about or share online and you're guaranteed for someone to misconstrue it. And that's another reason why I moved away from those controversial topics online because the more controversial you are the more room there is for people to kind of twist your words and kind of like misinterpret what you're saying and I can't stand being misunderstood it stresses me out so I'm like I didn't mean that that's not what I said you're taking it out of contents you know and I get drawn in in that way and I'm just like I don't really feel like explaining myself to anybody because people where it matters and where it's you know valuable and where it's being actually used to like make a good change people are receiving the message how I would like them to so that's what I focus on. You know, that's a big ADHD thing, that not wanting to be misunderstood or not being able to handle that. Like, And then you tie in with the emotions. And then you tie in the shame, which you touched on earlier. Like, we all carry a shame that we didn't perform in the way that we were expected to, or we behaved in a way that wasn't fitting for everyone else, didn't kind of fit in with their picture of what we should be. I, what I love about your story is that you have acknowledged the kind of difficulties of emotional regulation, which is difficult for anyone, but with the added layer of ADHD, it's like out of this world, I think. And you've made it work for yourself in a safe way that massively benefits the greater good, which I just think is hugely inspiring for anyone who's listening to this and is struggling with emotional regulation themselves and how to better channel it and cope with it. I, do you know what? I, think, I honestly feel like a huge part of where I'm now as well in terms of my own ADHD is because of my work in school, because... I just, I, could, I, in order for me to go home and be able to look at myself at night, I had to know that I'd done the best by those children that I worked with. Um, and I think it got to a point where literally I always put them first. Even if I know they've done something wrong, and even if I know they've said something or done something that was quite rude or quite naughty or whatever, I always used to say, yeah, but I still need to know why you've done it. And I still need to know how you feel. Because if we don't get to the bottom of that, then how can we actually help you? You shouldn't have done it, but there's a reason why you've done it. The reason might be even really irrational, but you're still trying to communicate something to us. And I feel like ultimately that's the whole point of any kind of like human behavior. People are trying to communicate. They're trying to show something. They're trying to, you know, share something. I mean, it's not always it's not always kind. It's not always helpful or positive. But everyone has a motivation. I think 
you need to get to the bottom of that motivation i think that's what it is for me and that introspection is like why am i the way that i am whether it's the adhd whether it's my past experiences with school whether it's my upbringing um i feel like working with those kids has made me realize like everyone kind of has a story and I mean, as adults, you can't walk around like wounded children as well. That's another reason why I'm the way I am, because I think these are children, but it will get to a point where there will be nothing else we can do for them in this capacity because they will grow up and they will become adults and they will have to be able to make their own decisions. They will have to learn how to self-regulate. And I see a lot of, I saw a lot of adults that I worked with and I would see them, I would think, you behave like these kids and you're adults and I'm having to deal with you when I should be focusing on these children and helping these children. But because you're offended at by, the, by what he said or you're comparing him to your, you know, your children who have had a perfectly normal and healthy upbringing, that, that comparison alone is ridiculous. And I found myself having to deal with a load of adults and I just thought, you have not learned the exact things I'm trying to teach these children. And that's another reason why I'm like, I don't want to be a person who doesn't grow up and doesn't learn and doesn't be better because that's exactly what I want for these kids so how can I do that for them if I'm not even if I'm not exemplary of that you know and if I can't apologize and say you know I was wrong you know I've got new information I've changed my opinion I didn't realize if I can't do that then I'm, I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a crap teacher <laughs> I'm not going to be very good at my job I mean that's right okay there is a podcast in this but there's also a book you need a mini series <laughs> like it's all going to happen there's so much to gain from your wisdom and experience like it's unbelievable there's so much um thank you so much for coming on is it my adhd i really appreciate how you've shared so generously and i'm just gonna go home and think about now this whole reframing of like leaving things that are not serving you is such a valuable lesson we now turn to an expert. Now I feel very lucky to welcome Dr. Joe Steer to the podcast. She is a chartered clinical psychologist working with children in Surrey and the author of Understanding ADHD in Girls and Women, which has become my Bible. Is it my ADHD when I struggle to regulate my emotions? Okay, so difficulties in regulating emotions is is one of the main groups of symptoms for ADHD alongside difficulties with inattention, hyperactivity and impulsivity. However, it's not a core diagnostic feature, so it's not written in the diagnostic criteria, but it is recognised that this can be a really key area. So it's very likely that difficulties regulating your emotions is part of your ADHD and what this can look like and mean is that perhaps you've got a really short fuse sometimes um, you feel emotions very intensely and um, react quite quickly to those emotions perhaps becoming upset quite easily or overreacting to things that are quite stressful and that might lead to you feeling easily overwhelmed and one of the things that I hear about quite a lot is really the, the shame for women particularly linked with these feelings and these struggles with emotional regulation I think there's you know we we talk a lot about women being very emotionally driven and managing their emotions well and so when perhaps this is a struggle for some women as part of their ADHD perhaps it, it can feel really embarrassing to talk about and these difficulties with mood and feelings can also be part of why ADHD is often missed in women because they can lead uh, women themselves but also professionals, GPs, mental health professionals down the wrong route and can lead you into a discussion around mental health much more than ADHD so thinking more about depression, personality disorders or even bipolar disorder rather than ADHD so it is really important to acknowledge that this is part of the ADHD picture. 
Thank you so much for joining me and this community of amazing people. We'd love it if you could follow Is It My ADHD wherever you get your podcast from. And now I'd love to hear from you. What other perspectives would you like to see explored in future episodes? Find me on Instagram at Is It My ADHD to continue the conversation.